Tiffany, thank you choir, thank you students. Hasn't the music been a blessing this morning? 
Amen. It's been a way to draw our hearts to the truth of God's Word, and um, I've been blessed by it already. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. It's good to see each one of you here, and I'm looking forward to what God has for us in this time. You know, a lot of times we, we think of worship as being the music portion of the service. I've seen people almost disconnect. They say, well, the worship part's over now, it's the preaching, but I want you to know that the Word of God and our response to it is a part of our worship this morning. And um, how I preach is part of my worship to God, and how you receive it is part of your worship. And so this is, this is still, it's all the worship of the Lord. And as we look at this passage, it's a familiar scripture. Uh, we have looked at this as our, really our theme verse for our upcoming revival the theme of overflow, that we are looking for the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to overflow. Uh, it actually worked out quite well, as you notice in the announcements, the, the um, folks that are coming to help lead us in worship, the name of their group is Overflow. And so that, that was well-timed and worked out well, but we're looking forward to them being with us. But you know, I want God to begin to prepare my heart before that time gets here. I am looking for... Um, a work of personal overflow. As we look at these, these verses this morning, these are verses that speak about salvation. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that you can experience what Jesus is going to describe in these verses. I want you to know that you can have, well, Jesus came to have, he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. The sad thing is, is that a lot of people who don't know Christ look at those of us who do, and they don't really see that abundant life. They don't see the, out, the overflow of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So this, this passage speaks of that truth, but the same faith by which I am saved is the same faith by which I live my Christian life. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. That's not just having eternal life by faith. That is living the life, the Christ life, by faith. And so as I come to Christ, as Christ gives this offer today, and he gives it to each one of us, it is a way for us to experience the fullness of what God has for us in the Christian walk. I want you to see three verses this morning. I'm going to begin reading in verse 37, and I'll read down through verse 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me just quickly give a, a word of explanation on verse 39. John is writing this after Pentecost, and he is referring back to a time that his readers would have understood that they had received the Holy Spirit. Before the day of Pentecost, before Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit came on individuals in the Old Testament, but he came on them for specific times and for specific moments and specific works. And now, after the day of Pentecost, when the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to the church, now every person who trusts in Jesus Christ is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, 
And we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit who dwells permanently with us for the rest of our Christian life. Aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident within our hearts? And he is at work. Boy, you read through the New Testament, you see all the work that the Holy Spirit does. It, it really becomes overwhelming to think of all the things, not just in preparing us for salvation, not just in our salvation, but the things that take place after our salvation. It is by the Holy Spirit's power and the Holy Spirit's work in us that we experience uh, worship. Worship, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Paul speaks of us worshiping by the Spirit. Our work that we do for God must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. It cannot be done in the strength of this flesh. We can do it, we can accomplish things in the strength of this flesh, but only empowered by the Holy Spirit will it be of eternal and lasting value the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's produced in our lives. The work of holiness in our lives is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the, the work that we get to experience because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And I'm thankful for that. And so John is writing to those who understand that, and they know that. They know that they have experienced what Jesus is talking about, but that he also calls them for an overflow I want you to see in Jesus' statement, Jesus gives us a very clear statement in this verse, in our text verse this morning, about how we can experience this overflow, how we can have a personal overflow in our lives. How often do we live in a time of spiritual drought? We've had, over the past number of weeks, we've had a lot of rain. Can I get an amen on that? I have seen some ponds where there weren't no ponds before, pardon the grammar, or lack thereof. I've seen a lot of, we've had plenty of rain, we've had a lot of moisture that's come down. There are times in our spiritual life when we go through times of drought, and we need this overflow, we need this experience. Let me tell you what happens. If enough Christians will begin to have a personal overflow, then the church begins to have an overflow. And if enough churches begin to experience this overflow of the Spirit and an overflow of revival in their hearts, then a region can experience. And if a region experiences it, then even an entire nation, that's why there have been times in the past that there were entire nations that experienced revival. As God's people were stirred and began to have those overflow moments, and it started with individuals and it spread, then entire nations were impacted. Hundreds and even thousands were saved during these great revivals, not because of a political renewal, but because of a spiritual renewal. And this is what can take place. If we begin to have personal overflow, then we as a church can begin to experience that same overflow that Jesus describes in this verse. I want to give you this morning, if you want to write a title down, three steps. Three steps to personal overflow. Jesus gives it to us right here. It's really clear and it's really simple. Do you see it in his statement? Look in verse 37. Jesus stood and cried and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. The first thing that Jesus says is there has to be a desire. There has to be a desire for overflow. He said, If any man thirst. 
Isn't it interesting that he uses the idea of thirst? Um, we all understand what that is. We all under, we experience that. We need a drink. We need something to quench our thirst. Jesus uses this idea, and he sets it in a really clear context for his listeners. It says on the, in verse 36, in the, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast. What feast is he talking about? This is the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's repeated over and over in the chapter of this chapter of John. No other gospel, um, no other gospel writer uses physical elements and physical experiences to frame the truths that Jesus is teaching and preaching than John does. You think about when Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking to Nicodemus. He says, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says, are you a teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? What was the problem? Nicodemus' mind was running in spiritual things as ours often, and physical things as ours often do. But Jesus was using a physical experience of birth to frame a spiritual truth. It wasn't just the, the teachers of Israel, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, when Jesus sits down with her and he says, if you knew the water that I was offering, you would ask me for a drink. And she says, sir, the, the well is deep and you have no bucket, you have no way of drawing this water. Jesus was speaking of eternal life and the water of life, but he used a physical element to explain it. Throughout John, you see this, you see Jesus teaching on the bread of life as he feeds the multitudes. We see Jesus talking about, I am the light of the world as he gives sight to a blind man. And so he uses these physical elements. And here in this chapter, in chapter 7, there, his listeners are, are framed in this, in this festival that is going on, this feast. It's an eight-day feast. And this is the eighth day. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's not pointing back to the tabernacle in the Old Testament, but it's pointing back to the, the booths and the huts that they would build in the wilderness to live in. They would build these, and, and the people of Israel in Jesus' day, the Jews would come to Jerusalem, and they would come to the city, and they would build these huts, these booths, these, these tabernacles that they would live in for this entire eight-day feast. And every day of the feast in remembrance of that time in the wilderness when they experienced deep thirst. They knew what thirst was about. The priest in this festival would take a golden pitcher and he would start out from the temple in Jerusalem and he would be followed by a great procession of people and he would go to the pool of Siloam and he would dip that pitcher down in the water and he would fill it up to the brim as he would quote the verse from Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water from the wells of salvation. And he would do this day after day for seven days. And on the eighth day, the last day, that great day of the feast, he would lead the procession but he would not fill up the pitcher with water. He would leave the pitcher empty, signifying that the fulfillment of this promise of the water from the wells of salvation was yet to come. And Jesus is saying in this statement, I am the fulfillment of that promise. I am the fulfillment of that, that water that will bring satisfaction. I am the water of life. I am the one that will satisfy your thirst. 
That empty pitcher, there's something missing, there's something lacking, you're thirsting, you're looking for something, and it's not a physical thirst that you're thinking of. It is a spiritual thirst that can only be filled at the wells of salvation. Let me tell you this morning, if you're searching in this world for satisfaction and you're searching for fulfillment, there is nothing whatsoever in this world that will satisfy your soul except Jesus Christ. He is the water of life. He is the well of salvation. And Jesus said, whosoever thirsts, if you thirst, are you thirsty this morning? Let me ask you, are you, are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with where you are spiritually? Are you satisfied with where you are in your life in general? Are you, are you happy there? Are you thirsting for more? A lot of people think that there's things that will satisfy that thirst. Even believers who will seek after religious experience to satisfy that thirst. They'll seek after good works to think, oh, this will make me happy. This is what I need to do. If I could, if I could just be busier for God, if I could do more, what we need to understand is that the, the satisfaction of our soul can only be found in Jesus. Not just in salvation, but in our Christian life. He is the one that satisfies. He is the one that fulfills. And we must come thirsty. We must desire. And how often do we sit back and we're just content. We're happy with where we are. We're, we're satisfied to just go through life, go through the Christian life, just casual, average, apathetic. Look, I, I, I can't make y'all thirsty this morning. I can't create in you the thirst. It takes a work of the Holy Spirit to make you thirsty. You know, there's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Zig Ziglar said, yeah, but you can salt his oats. <laughs> you can create a thirst. I'm, I'm asking God, in these days, I'm asking God to salt my oats. I want God to make me thirsty. I want God to help me to have that desire. If any man thirst, let him come to me. Not only a desire, but Jesus says the second thing. Notice what he says. If any man thirst, there's desire. Let him come unto me. If we're going to experience personal out overflow, there must be a time when we draw near. When we draw near to God. He says, come to me. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't done what Jesus says, whoever believes in me, this will happen to. Out of his bellies will flow rivers of living water. I want you to know that Jesus is calling, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're thirsty, come to me and drink. The last invitation given in the scriptures in the book of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, come. Jesus says, come ye that thirst. And so salvation is offered freely to those who believe. Jesus says, if any man believes in me, not works hard enough to get it, but if he believes in me, he receives this. But there's also times in our Christian life when we need to draw near. I don't know about you, but I know when I need to get closer. I know when that fellowship with my heavenly Father is not what it has been or what it ought to be. My relationship with God never changes. I've been brought into God's family and I will always be a child of God. 
Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that that doesn't change? I've been adopted into God's family, and nothing is going to change that. But my fellowship with him is not always what it ought to be. Someone has said that if you don't feel as close to God as you used to, who moved? Who moved? God, God's not the one that's moved. I remember the story, that I, I remember this from the time I was a kid, of the couple driving down the road, older couple driving down the road, and they passed a, a pickup truck, and it was one of those trucks that we used to say it took two to drive. Y'all know what I'm talking about, you know, the drivers there and the young man driving the truck, young lady scooted over just as far as she could get close to him, and it looked like a two-headed driver from behind it, you know. The wife looked over at her husband, and she said, you know, I remember a time when we used to drive like that. Any of you wives remember when y'all used to? The man looked back at his wife, and he said, I remember it too, but I'm sitting right where I've always sat. Let me tell you that if there's distance between you and God, it's not on God's part. God's right where he's always been. Jesus says, draw near. Come unto me. How do we do that? How do we draw near to God? Well, there's really two parts to this, two aspects of our drawing near to God. Number one, we have to remove any hindrances. What is it that's between me and God? Have I relegated God to second place or third place? Have I allowed other priorities to take his place? Have I allowed sin in my life that I need to confess, that I need to make right? Is there a problem between me and a brother or sister in Christ that I need to resolve? I've got to get those hindrances out of the way. We're we're not going to experience revival. We're not going to experience overflow, personal or church overflow, unless we are willing to remove the hindrances between us and our fellowship with God. And then we have to renew that fellowship. We We have to get back in fellowship with God. We have to talk to him. We have to hear from him. We have to spend time with him. Isn't it interesting that as the hindrances start cropping up, the relationship just gets colder and colder. And it's generally so gradual that we don't even notice it. It's so gradual and it's just progressive and we don't even recognize it. We don't even realize until we wake up one day and we're so far away from God. When I was about, uh, I guess I was 12 or 13 years old, uh, my family was in Western Canada for revival services. We used to go up every summer, and we were preaching for it. My dad was preaching for a missionary um, in a church there in Saskatchewan. And the missionary asked my brother and I, he said, do you like to go fishing? And, you know, when you're a kid, and I haven't had a lot of opportunities in recent years to go, but, man, I, we, my brother and I love to fish. And we said, you know, abs- is the Pope Catholic? I mean, we re- is Billy Graham got a quiet time? Man, we re- yeah, we want to go fishing. And so he said, I'm going to take you down to this lake. And he took us out to the lake. And, you know, we, we, should, have, we should have known um, the look of the boat that he had. It just wasn't, you know, quiet up to up the snuff. And um, we got in, and we got about a quarter mile out from the dock, and the engine died. And so he said, well, you know, we can just, we can just sort of fish while we're sitting here. And we may drift a little bit, but that'll be okay. And so we started fishing, and we started catching fish. Now, the only thing more fun than fishing is catching. Can I get an amen from the fish? Yeah, yeah. I mean, fishing's fun, but catching makes it even better. And so, man, we started pulling in some, 
I think they were yellow trout or something. I don't know what they were, and yellow perch. And, man, we were pulling them in. We were just fast as we could throw out. What we didn't pay attention to is just how gradually we were drifting. I mean, the, the bank, it all looked the same to me. I mean, we were just drifting by. By the time we realized what time it was, we were two miles from the dock. He's like, oh, the missionary said, oh, I can crank this engine right back up. Famous words uh, from missionary. <laughs> he, he pulled the cord, he pulled the cord, and nothing. We literally had to get in the water and tow that boat back for two miles. I love catching fish, but no fish is worth pulling a boat with the missionary sitting in it <laughs> two miles back through the, through the water. Let me tell you that in our life, we're like that boat. We can drift and we drift, and we're so busy enjoying what's going on that we're not paying attention to how far we're getting away from the dock. And when it comes time for us to draw near, we've got to remove the hindrances, and we have to renew that fellowship. It takes humility, it takes prayer, and it takes repentance on our part to come back to where we were. Jesus says, if you thirst, come to me. One final thing Jesus says, there has to be a desire, we have to draw near, but then we have to drink. He says, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. This is our satisfaction. You know, when you're really thirsty, there's nothing quite like a good glass of, of water that will quench our thirst. And when you're thirsty spiritually, nothing will satisfy quite like Jesus. But let me tell you that he will satisfy. I think about the old, the old song, All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring. I'm satisfied with Jesus, the song says. He's all that we need. He's all that we need. He satisfies. And we must draw near to him. Aren't you glad for the promise that goes, goes with that? If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's something to drink. But Jesus also said that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. We're to draw near to him. And God says that if we draw near to him, and when we seek him, we will find him when we seek him with our whole heart. That's the promise of what we have, to be satisfied in him. But it's not just satisfaction. Notice also that there's sufficiency. He says, you can come to me and drink. He says, you'll, you'll be satisfied. He said, there's going to be water that's going to flow out. And it's not just satisfying, there's abundance. It's rivers of water flowing out. It's an abundance of water. It is rivers, the Holy Spirit flowing out of us. Isn't it an amazing thing of what God can take small things and make much out of? In John 6, he takes loaves and bread that are small and insignificant, and he uses them to feed the multitude. And here, he, he says, you can drink a drink, and it'll be rivers flowing out. That's the power of God at work. That's what God is able to do. And let me tell you that you may feel, you may feel like just small loaves and fish. You may feel like just a drink of water, but God can flow through you and there can be an experience of overflow because it's not you and it's not me. It's the Spirit that's at work in us. 
If there's worship that takes place, it's not you and I. It's the Holy Spirit worshiping through us. And if there's work that is done, it's not you and I getting the glory because we're doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit that is empowering us to work. And if there's holiness that's taking place in our lives, a work of holiness, it is not you and I that are becoming holy or being holy or get the glory for it. It is the Holy Spirit that is working His holiness through us and bearing His fruit in us. And that is the abundance that we can experience. And when we drink, the rivers flow so that others may drink. Because the work of the Spirit in overflow is never, never, never about us alone. Some people love a work of the Holy Spirit because it's a fun experience for them. But the work of the Holy Spirit is never for me. It is always to point to Jesus, but it is always to be a blessing to others. The overflow, I said, you come and drink, and the river will flow out of you. I heard a story just this week. Missionary shared. One of the great places, I am so blessed by the work of the Holy Spirit around the world. You do know that the Holy Spirit is not limited to these four walls. You do know that the Holy Spirit is not limited to just one hour on Sunday morning. The Holy Spirit is at work in countries around this world in some places that you would, be, you would not even know. In fact, I heard just this week that one of, the, one of the places where the church is growing the fastest and the most is in the country of Iran. We think of them as the axis of evil, but there are people coming to Christ in countries around the world. This missionary was sharing about a region that he had worked in in northeast Lebanon, a place where sometimes the terrorists will recruit their suicide bombers. It's a place that is steeped in the Muslim religion. There's a lot of conflict and a lot of battle that goes on there. But he told about this older Muslim lady who came to Christ in their ministry in this one particular valley. Her name was Fatima. And she came to Christ. She trusted Christ. She, she realized that there was something, that there was a thirst that Islam could not quench, that it was not satisfying. And she heard the message of Jesus, and she came to faith in Christ. When she came to faith in Christ, through her witness and through her testimony, not only did she trust in Christ, but she was able to lead her 12 children to the Lord. And not only did she lead her 12 children to the Lord, she was also to share the gospel, able to share the gospel and lead her 72 grandchildren to the Lord. Do you know, you see what happened there? Here's one simple, aged grandmother who believed and got a drink. And because the Holy Spirit flowed through her as a mighty river, there were many more that were touched. In fact, not just those, but through, through the ones she led to Christ, others came to Christ. In fact, this missionary shared that at various times over the past several years that dozens, even hundreds, have trusted Christ and have been baptized. What is that? It's what Jesus is talking about. It's a river. It's the Holy Spirit overflowing. Let me tell you what will happen. I can already see it. I can see that 
God putting a thirst in some of us this morning. If you're not thirsty, you better ask God because he's the one that'll salt your oats. He's the one that'll cause you to be thirsty. If you're not thirsty this morning, if you're satisfied, ask God to make you thirsty. If you are thirsty and you're longing for a drink, draw near to God. And as we begin to do that, as we start even now, don't wait for the revival services to start. Don't wait till Pastor Revis gets here to preach. Don't wait till the music starts. Start now seeking after God. The seeking is the action. The drawing near is the heart motivation of that action. We draw near to God and we seek after Him. And as we begin to experience that, can you imagine what would take place just right here in our area, in our region? If we as a church began to overflow, the Holy Spirit flowing as rivers through each one of us to see loved ones saved, to see our neighbors saved, to see those that are away from Christ brought back into relationship with him, to see overflow. And it starts with personal overflow. I can't speak for anyone in this church. I have my suspicions about some of you, but I can only speak for myself. I know, that, I know what I need to do. God's making me thirsty. God's making me aware of what I need and that I need to draw near to him. Are you thirsty? If you're thirsty, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of water. Therefore, with joy shall ye draw water from the wells of salvation. Let's bow for prayer this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never publicly professed your faith in Him, then let me speak to you first this morning. Jesus, as He stood on that day, Jesus stands today, and I speak on His behalf to say to you, if you will believe in Him,